Hey everyone, I'm John Steele, and this is After Four, a podcast for InterVarsity alumni. Life after college is hard, and even a great experience with your InterVarsity chapter doesn't shield you from the challenges of transition. As we hear stories from real alumni learning how to make it in their post-InterVarsity reality, my hope is that this podcast will offer some encouragement, a few laughs, and even some hope for the future. This is After Four, and these are your stories. Hey everyone, he is risen. He is risen indeed. I know I'm a few days late, but I can't let Resurrection Sunday pass without wishing you a happy Easter. Thank God for the hope that comes from an empty tomb. For everybody tuning in this week, welcome to After Four, the podcast for InterVarsity alumni. It's great to be here with a brand spanking new episode for you. Where does that term even come from? What does spanking have to do with being new? Is it because doctors spank a newborn baby to make sure their lungs work as expected? Is that baby brand spanking new? I don't know. This is where it would be helpful if the podcast had an email or some other format for communication. Then you could write in and answer questions like these. Maybe I need to get working on that. Until then, let me serve up this new episode for you. This week, you get to listen in on my chat with Phoebe, an alumna from Bemidji State here in Minnesota. We chatted about post-graduation life for an international student, experiences with relational evangelism at work, and living into suffering and pain as indicators that our hope is tied to something much bigger than what this world can offer. As always, I had a fantastic time talking with Phoebe, and I hope you enjoy it as well. Here you go. Phoebe, welcome to the After Four podcast. I'm really glad to have you on today. Glad to be had. How are you doing? I mean, under the circumstances, I'm doing as well as anyone can be. Yes, I think that that's the modifier that we're all using right now. Given the circumstances, I'm doing pretty well. So I'm excited to hear about your story. That's very much what we want to do in these conversations is give alumni space to share their story in places that maybe they wouldn't typically get to share it. As we get started here, I would love to know just some basic information. First of all, where did you go to school and when was it that you graduated? So I went to Bemidji State University, BSU in Minnesota. And double majored. One was mass communications in broadcasting and electronic media. And then the second one in design, art, and technology. And specialized in print, digital, and exhibit design. And I think the last I graduated was 2012. And the first one being 2010. So about nine years since you graduated your final part of the program. How does it feel being nine years out from college graduation? Well, I think it is all really a roller coaster, right? You're just kind of strapped in for the ride. And for, (laughs) you know, I'm an international or was an international student. So some things were kind of set up for us. You really didn't have one choice or the other. There were doors that opened, you know, that the Lord had a lot to do with. And then you just walk through them. So as far as that has gone, it's gone as best as one could ask for. Okay, so you said that you were an international student. Where did you come from to be a student at BSU? I'm from Malaysia, born and raised. I moved here when I was 22. And fast forward 12 years later, right? (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) You're not only looking at this life of like, okay, it's been this number of years since I graduated. You're also looking at it's been this number of years since I lived full time at home and starting to make those comparisons of the ratio of years that you grew up at home versus the number of years that you've been in the States. 
Exactly. And it's catching up. So <laughs> shorter distance, but I'm from Indiana originally and thought that I would move to Minnesota and be here for two years. And here I am 12 years later, still in Minnesota. <laughs> and so I'm making similar comparisons of like, oh gosh, you know, I was 22 when I graduated from college and then moved to Minnesota for my master's degree. And then, wow, I've been here for such a big chunk of my life, much more than I anticipated. Did you know coming to the States that you were intending to be here for the long term? Or were you originally anticipating getting a degree and then going back home? I think a little bit of both. I think the intention was that if there was going to be a job for me, that I would stick around and see where it went. And if there weren't, it was more than okay to go home. Has that been a hard adjustment being far away from family? That is a little challenging most respects, but trying to build community becomes way more prioritized because they're like basically stand in family. So I wasted no time trying to hunt down family, especially spiritual family, the moment I got here. In a lot of ways, it was exciting too, because it's a completely different culture. I was bent on not going back to cultural normalcies and try to more embrace and adapt to whatever that I was walking into. And it's just been a growing experience ever since. A priority for you was building relationships right off the bat. For me, that leads us nicely into what was it like for you to get involved with InterVarsity on campus at BSU? Well, the first I'd heard from it was actually back in Malaysia. And then I think during international student orientation, there was a girl named Tabitha that I met who was a fellow Malaysian, and we remain best friends ever since, who also introduced me to InterVarsity's ministry. And then finally, because again, super like bent on building community right away, I saw and responded to like an ecumenical service poster somewhere on the bulletin board for first years. And I was like, I bet I'll find someone like-minded there. And sure enough, there was a table for university. If I'm not mistaken, that was when I met my campus pastors, Brian and Sandy Asker. It's always a good moment in people's lives when they get introduced to the Askers. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> so tell me some stories about your time with InterVarsity. Oh, uh, gosh. That's like a really difficult question. And there's so many, it's hard to kind of isolate really good ones. But I thought about it and think I about three the first being a huge opportunity and a humbling opportunity to be able to lead my friend, a fellow Malaysian to Christ throughout and within the folds and community of university. So that was one of my major highlights. And of course, we remain friends to this day. She did return to Malaysia, but is just this strong woman of faith right now. And it's kind of amazing to be able to stare at that uh, dichotomy of when I first met her and where she is right now, because, you know, fast forward 12 years later. Uh, the second one was definitely the many fall retreats and spring breaks that we spent together as a chapter. Lots of fun memories of cabins and outdoor activities and devotionals. And, and then third being a, something a little bit more sobering, but a dear friend that I met, his name was Eric, and he had passed away before he turned 24 from cancer. But he... He passed away, but not before teaching me to treasure the many life lessons through hardship, difficulty, or suffering, answering the major question of suffering, just profound conversations like that well into the night, and then also just watching him live out Christ, even down to his last days. And I also happen to have met Eric through my friendships in university. So I will always have that tethered to my university experience. 
Wow. Some stories that run the gamut, seeing life transformation happening, experiencing personal transformation, experiencing loss and hardship, but at the same time, seeing somebody navigate that with grace and with Jesus as their hope. So we're hearing stories of this like really rich experience, a lot of it based around relational experiences that you had with people. And as you're getting closer to these graduation days, what kind of things were you anticipating for the future? You know, I mentioned it before, a lot of our paths as internationals are very set up for us and we have to follow the necessary step to get to the next place or phase uh, otherwise we return home and again not a bad deal but it's just more of like lord where do you want us right and waiting for the doors to open so i had very few expectations okay so when i say that maybe part of it is self-preservation like afraid of that rejection or afraid of failure but also in a lot of ways we're so used to that nomadic state of being that it's like, oh, I could be uprooted to a different state, which I eventually was, or I could be going home in a few months. So that state of being really does mess with your hopes or plans, especially if you're like an A-type personality. You really learn the practical way that the Lord orders your steps. You can plan all you want, but things always change and the Lord has you. There's always that moment of uncertainty that you're living in and trusting the Lord for that next step. As far as expectation for even like relationships, community, you know, remain consistent. Like I said, some of the InterVarsity students that I've met are lifelong friends, Kristen and Sam Parsons, whom I led worship with for, um, for many years. But as far as romantic relationships, either I had zero expectations on that as well. Again, with the nomadic state of being, you just didn't think about stuff like that. And like, it was just you and me, Jesus. So that was where I was at when graduating. In fact, very, very ardently so, and really felt called to a single life at that point. Um, and then, you know, as far as expectations of faith, he has always had me, his economy of grace really is uh, provision financially. So I'll say that he's kept me on my toes. Um, but in his timing, he's never failed. And because of that, I feel like faith has never been on the table to be discarded, if that makes sense. It's just been something that I've had to hold on to. So I guess my expectations was only to continue to grow exponentially from wherever I was at, at the point of graduation. It's funny as you're talking about almost like a wait and see mentality of just like, I don't really know what the opportunities are going to be moving forward. I look at that and I say, there were a number of years that I didn't even own a bed. I owned a blow up mattress because I had no idea how much longer I was going to be around. And that felt like a very putting down roots moment for me when I actually owned a bed. <laughs> and, and it's just really interesting those times that you do step up to the precipice of the phase that you're in ending and having no clue what the next one is going to be. And that you kind of just like, all right, I'm going to take the next step, and hopefully there is a step there to actually put my foot on. Oh, man, I can relate to that sentiment in so many levels. Even as you spoke, I was flashbacking to different moments of like, okay, now what? You know, whether it was waiting for paperwork to come in on time, even waiting to see if there was employment opportunities, because you would stand at the crossroads and look just far enough and kind of hope and dream a little bit and then realize you have to backtrack because maybe the Lord is leading you down this other path that you weren't even prepared for. But like I said, those moments have been the best ones because you find yourself clinging on for dear life to the Lord and his faithfulness because 
there's really no other option. I think of C.S. Lewis Chronicles of Narnia, and there's a quote from the beaver who's answering a question, whether or not this lion, Aslan, was safe. And he was like, of course he's not safe, but he's good. Um, and I feel like that completely encapsulates most of our journeys, but something definitely endemic to mine, that he's good. But most of the places that he's led me through has not necessarily been the safest option, but he's good. Oh, man. No, he is not safe, but he is good. That is so much the reality of, I mean, you figure that you've spent so much of your life in school and having your life sort of structured for you. And then suddenly you're going to take a step into a totally different phase of life. You don't have a class schedule. You don't necessarily know what one day to the next is going to look like. And many of us have had the experience of, I have no idea where I'm going after this whatsoever. And that is not safety. That is not the safe, consistent environment that we all long for and desire. But he is consistent and he is good. And we can trust as we're taking that step off the precipice that there will be something to catch us. So then going from that experience right there, what did those next few steps look like? Well, one of the pivots that I probably led on from the last question too is that because I was so convinced that I would not get married, I was not getting distracted. And of course, he changes my direction. And I actually meet my future husband at an internship who did not know the Lord yet at that point. And it was an internship that was kind of nominal. I didn't feel like I was growing and feel like a lot of the listeners will be able to relate to that too, in that you're ambitious and you want to keep growing and pushing yourself especially for creatives, that output needs to be quality. But, you know, in a nominal internship, sometimes you do the stale bread and butter, the mundane day-to-day cyclical routines. And so it's really being honest with the Lord. It's like, what am I doing here, Lord? And as a, a creative intern, you get put in the different departments within the creative umbrella that could be graphic design. And then one day you're in 3D and then another day you're with the production specialist, literally laying down and installing the graphics. And that's where Kevin comes into the picture. And he didn't say much. He was definitely living a completely different lifestyle at that point. But this is where InterVarsity plays a huge role. One of my favorite learning moments in InterVarsity was this really fun exercise that Brian Asker led us through. And I remember it vividly. It's like drawing out your calendar of your classes and then what happens in between and where can you insert a space or an opportunity for evangelism. It illuminated the fact that it happens anywhere and at any time. And one of the best questions that I've since used up to this point, most of the time someone had something really profound to say, whether or not they were a believer, was responding to the question, what's your spiritual background? And they could hum and haw at the start, but eventually you get to the bottom of it and then it leads to some deeper, more profound conversations and something more personal and you learn a bit more every day. And that's how I started my conversation with Kevin. So I guess in a way, even though he didn't know the Lord or had no idea what university was at that time, that was how his life was impacted. And we grew a friendship from there. And right about that time, I was asking the Lord, what am I doing there? And he usually had a hoodie on and he took his hoodie off at one point and it revealed a Hebrew tattoo on his arm. And I was like, what is this boy doing with a Hebrew tattoo on his arm? And he showed it to me and I'm like, do you know what that says? And he told me that it was Ruach Kadesh. And I apologize to someone who does study Hebrew. I can't 
pronounce that well, but it's very close to the Arabic term Rokudus, which means Holy Spirit or breath of life. And I was like, oh my goodness, Lion King, like shaft of light moment. I knew <laughs> right there and then that that was my purpose at this seemingly nominal internship. And I invited him to a seeker's Bible study that I had been leading at that point. And so our friendship as a group grew from then on. And needless to say, he accepted Christ the following year. And it was definitely a beautiful, powerful moment for all of us to witness that. Did he ever say why that was the tattoo? That That seems like one of those things that like, why would you pick that? (laughs) If you're listening, Kevin, I love you. I'm sorry. Here's his story, right? So in past days, when he was younger and maybe inebriated, he decided that a tattoo of the breath of life was appropriate to be marked on his arm, which for me is so profound, is it not? That the Lord would mark him well before he came to know him. But that was my moment when he did reveal that to me in that random production specialist room as we laid vinyl on a random piece of substrate, I knew that by the end of this internship, I absolutely had to make sure that he was introduced to the Holy Spirit that was marked on his arm. I mean, not knowing that we would be married five years down the road, but being fully focused on that mission, like the Lord really lit a fire in me that day. So yeah, there was no other purpose than just he felt drawn to it, he said. And it's just funny to me, I see some interesting intersection of being filled with spirits that prompts you to eventually head down this road that would fill you with the spirit. What a really interesting intersection of his current life and his future life in that moment. Those are the kind of things that you get further down the road and you look back on your life and you're like, this is a place that God encountered me, whether it was in my greatest day or my worst day or just in a blah day that God was there and I didn't know it, but now I can see it. Exactly. As you've been having this conversation about this evangelistic friendship that you had with Kevin and this experience that you're sort of drawing on from this conversation with Brian, this teaching from him, mapping out your day and what does it look like to be watchful for opportunities to share the gospel with people that you know? What does that look like for you in your profession right now? These days, it's been, I mean, I never shy away from a conversation about God. I still remember colleagues coming over to my cubicle and just saying like, so, uh, and then he would just blatantly ask a question about why did Noah build the ark or something like that, right? And so I'm always open and accessible for that. But in order for people to know that I am a believer and that I can speak about spiritual things and the things of faith, I think the key thing for me was to definitely live a life of true witness. And that is so difficult. You know, sometimes you do more life with your colleagues than with people at home. And they see the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I'm not saying to live life so cautiously, to still live life true to how the Lord has wired you and still be passionate, but also understand that you can be angry, but you're not supposed to sin and being called to that quest of holiness. And I think people just naturally make that connection of, oh, she's a believer. And I feel like that witness is so important, especially with a lot of people who have been disenfranchised with the church body. I think of a recent conversation that I've had with one of my colleagues who we basically call family. And while we might not share the same faith, they've often shared observations of 
how we live out our faith and how, you know, they make comments like there are very few people who live out true Christianity like you guys, you know, and it's not a moment of boasting, but more of like understanding that the light in us is true and real and that it's important in a bleak world called the marketplace. I think you've already answered this question in a number of ways, but I'm going to ask it more directly just so you can fill in any other gaps that come to your mind. But as you think about your time in InterVarsity and now you're experiencing these years post-InterVarsity, as you compare those experiences, are there places that you can see InterVarsity really prepared me well for this part of life after college? I mean, I have to go back to practical ways of evangelism. Another thing about InterVarsity is that there was always opportunities for discipleship whether to be discipled or to disciple others. Even the structure of campus life in college, where you are constantly looking for the person to bring into the fold, whether you're you know, leading a small group or anything like that. And I feel like those are really practical life skills, even in listening or even being aware, oh, this person is clearly looking for community. Even though they're on their phones, they didn't come with anyone. If I think about it, a lot of that was cultivated during my years in college um, and serving with university. I would think that that would be in addition to practical evangelism. That's interesting. It's amazing to me how many of these really valuable life skills and really valuable ways to live out our faith comes down to growing and what it looks like to be a good friend, to live your life with your eyes open and your head up and just looking around, either watching for opportunities or watching for people that are looking to be invited in, and I'm ready and aware and prepared to invite them in and to connect them to something bigger than what they could find just doing their own thing. That is such a widely usable skill that you can apply it to your faith. Be a good friend, and you are going to see people encountering Jesus because you make yourself available to them. So if you were to have a conversation with somebody who's about to graduate, what would you? tell them based on the life experiences that you've had and the things that you have encountered over your years post-graduation? Man, it might not sound super happy or motivational, but I would say that I don't think we'll ever graduate from trusting God's faithfulness. And I think that's why at so many points of scripture, we're asked to remember because you cross the Red Sea and then on the flip side, they're still murmuring and complaining. And I feel like I never graduate from that class. No matter how sad this sounds, I can relate to the children of Israel in that point in that I need to remember. I need to remember God's goodness in the past. And I also need to trust that God's goodness continues while, yes, he's not a tame lion. Sorry to bring that back, but yeah, he's not tame and he doesn't orchestrate our lives for safety. He calls us to drink in his cup of suffering. You know, that's what he's calling us to. And so I think just to be very real to someone who is graduating, there's no end to that lesson. Don't grow weary of trusting the Lord because the reward is great in that he always comes through, even in the darkest or most difficult of situations when you're experiencing loss or lack to pray that the Lord is indeed our shepherd and I will not lack to believe on that prayer, even in the times of what may feel like lack. But what is the Lord really speaking in that moment? To not lose hope, to stay trusting in the Lord's goodness and faithfulness. I think that's really what it boils down to. 
I think that that's really a great word for those of us living in a very wealthy Western culture as well. I'm not saying that everyone is wealthy here, but that many of us are. And it's super easy for us to just rely on the faithful, the faithfulness in quotation marks of our wealth. And as long as I can get my life to be stable, as long as I have something that I can rely on long term here, my physical life is healthy and safe and consistent, then I'm good to go. And how often that just pulls our focus towards relying on material things and relying on things of this world as opposed to relying on God to provide and looking consistently towards his provision, his faithfulness. There is something really powerful about being in a place where you can't rely or where you choose not to rely on the consistency of these things. Instead saying like, it's God's provision. Exactly. And in those moments, recognizing that maybe God could be behind this, stripping us of what we have relied on or maybe built an identity around. A lot of us do tend to build our identities around what we do, right? Like the, the career paths that we've chosen or end up in. And that does not rest there. That is not where you arrive. You know, our arrival is so much greater and grander. What the Lord has orchestrated is so much further than what our minuscule dreams are. The ultimate reward is that we get to spend eternity with Him. And we can sense that lack because we're not in perfection. And so to be able to thank the Lord that we understand what it is to lack because we know what really is in store. That reminds me so much of some of the things that Peter talks about in First Peter in particular, when he's talking to these people about the suffering that they will experience and saying, your suffering is going to be hard. It's going to happen, but don't let it get you down. You're suffering in this world because your hope is in something bigger. And when you experience suffering, it should almost be this confirmation of, I want something more than what this world has to offer. And that thing is Jesus. And I'm longing for him. I will experience that ultimate fulfillment down the road. The best is yet to come. I haven't experienced the best that there is yet. And that's really great. I agree wholeheartedly. We can train our eyes to where our true help comes from and that there's no arrival here. I think that really trains our character for the long haul. It's a marathon, not like the sprinter's race. That feels like a great word to end on right there, Phoebe. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for your insights, for sharing your life experiences with us. This has been really fantastic. I feel really encouraged by this. I am certain that others will also. Thanks so much, Phoebe. Thanks again for having me. Never graduate from trusting God's faithfulness. Our arrival just won't come this side of eternity. There will be high highs and low lows, and through it all we will be reminded of our need for God and His provision. It's crazy how often I get fooled into thinking that this world can provide what I need. I'm tempted to think that the right income, the right square footage, and a reliable internet connection will get me through. Yeah, I would be wrong. Those things, along with many others, while potentially beneficial and usable by God to accomplish His work, will ultimately fail me in the end. And how frustrated do I get when those failures inevitably come time and time again? Like Phoebe mentioned, there was grumbling and complaining on the other side of the Red Sea. What if, instead of putting my hope in the sinking sand of material things and fallible humans, and then pointing an accusatory finger at God when they inevitably fail me, I chose to remember. To remember the endless list of things that God has done in, through, and around me. How would that change my perspective on life and on his provision? 
As long as I live in this world, there will always be a need to rely on the faithfulness of God. May we get better and better at keeping that in mind. Well, that's all for this episode. Join me next week for my chat with C. Terrence, an alum from Marquette University. He has some wise words for us about living a values-driven life and becoming a fully realized child of God. I'm excited for you to hear it. Come on back and give it a listen. Until then, see you next time, alumni.